Welcome to Indie Brand Builder, the leading podcast for product entrepreneurs. I'm Jeremy Robinson. Check out IndieBrandBuilder.com where you'll find a ton of super valuable free content and resources, as well as information about our mastermind program. And today I'm speaking with Kevin Mako, who is the world's leading expert on hardware startups. He's the founder of Mako Design and Invent, which is a pioneering firm for providing world-class end-to-end physical consumer product development tailored to inventors, product startups, and small manufacturers. Established in 1999, Mako Design is now a 30-person team with offices in Austin, Miami, San Francisco, and Toronto. So basically, wherever you are, you can reach out to these guys. They've developed over 1,000 products for clients and have earned over 25 design and business awards. He is also the host of his own podcast, the Product Startup Podcast, which is the hardware development industry's leading podcast. So check that out as well. So really thrilled to have uh, with me today, Kevin Mako. Welcome, Kevin. Jeremy, really excited to be on the show. Cool. Well, um, before we get into all the stuff you guys do at Mako Design, take me back to the beginning. What inspired you to start the business coming from where you did? Yeah, you know what? This is, um, this is one of those rare business stories that never had a pivot. <laughs> so right. That I, I, I started brewing with this idea in high school, all around the concept that I had an invention idea and I wanted to get it to production. And it was so difficult. This is back in 1999. I would say many of our clients, they're in the same boat where it's a pain point to them. They, they say, I, I can't get this done or I need this object or I can't do something. And uh, they come up with an idea for it. Right. And that was the spark. So in university, I uh, went to business school uh, to figure out how to how to get this thing off the ground. And uh, I thought that would be helpful. So I was a uh, section class president at the Ivy Business School, which is Harvard Business School sister up in Canada. Yep. Then I, I incorporated the business halfway through business school while still trying to get it flushed out and working on it, starting with some real clients. Then went to Hong Kong University for supply chain and manufacturing. And uh, once I finished that, I basically turned down job offers and started full-time into this in 2007. And I've done nothing did you, but- And you bootstrapped this? Like you- Completely you, bootstrapped, even till right. today. No investors, no debt, no financing. In terms of engineering, like where does that come into? You, you obviously have a business background, you understand supply chain, which are huge pieces. So how did you, how did you incorporate engineering? Because a lot of the products, from what I understand, you're working on are pretty technical. Yeah, all we do is the technical work. So right. we are like sketch on a napkin, design, engineering, prototyping, and then into production. Our job is basically done when our clients in their first production run. And then either, right. you know, they then grow and scale the business from there, uh, or they come back to us, which is what we're really looking for, for their second, third, fourth product or revisions of the product, or whatever it might be down the road, right? But right. Um, all we focus on is basically the tough, tough stuff, right? The hardcore design and engineering. Right. So you're a guy, you're an entrepreneur, you've got what you think is this million dollar idea, but- you don't know how to operate AutoCAD. You don't know all of the engineering intricacies that are going to go into that product. So you would reach out to, to Maco Design to really help walk you through that process, correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah. it's a design to production. And, and even, I mean, we work with a lot, lot of clients. Uh, most don't have any technical experience, but we also, we're across three verticals, right? Industrial design, which is the visual, mechanical engineering, which is, you know, how to actually make it function, and then electrical engineering. Half our products have electronics. Half of them right. don't. They're, you know, tools, houseware, that right. sort of stuff. Right. Uh, but the half of them do, right? So those are the three disciplines. So we have 
you know, a number of clients who might have one or even, you know, let's say one and a half or two of those disciplines, but they're looking to do to get to production to actually sell units at a world-class caliber. So quality product done well, done to 2021 standards. Um, and, you know, they, they want somebody to essentially help them from that original idea, sketch on a napkin all the way through to those units coming off the line. So let's talk about the process then. So how, how do you engage a client who has an idea, but doesn't know how to get it all the way to a production facility? Yeah, most, most of our clients are starting, um, they're, they're generally just doing their research and they come across us in one way or another. And um, most of our clients are usually at the earlier stages. In fact, the earlier, the better. Because then we can help them actually craft something incredible right. from the get-go. So uh, a lot of the time, people, we, we I know you hear the, the classic adage, sketch on a napkin. Right. Uh, it's no joke. We've regularly literally seen sketches, sketches on napkins. On napkins. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of them, I'm sure, just, you know, Framed. Uh, for effect. But yeah, they're, they're, they're right. And uh, But the reality is, you know, people are looking around for answers um, right. when they've got an idea. And you know, one of the things that we've, because we've been basically a kind of, professional grade design firm, but tailored to startups, a big part of our job, not what we're actually paid for, but a big part of what we do is helping with strategic guidance around that, right? right. Because people are coming to us and say, well, what do I do next? Well, they may or may not need what we're doing. Um, they may be at a certain part of it or whatever else. So you, you've got to figure out what to do. Um, that's when we, that's our strategy stuff. That's the stuff we don't charge for, right? But it's, it's a very necessary piece, a very fundamental piece to working with a startup. So one of the things that we can do today on this podcast is just kind of give an over, overarching view of like, if you've got an invention idea or a product idea, or if you want to innovate on a product, or let's say you're maybe you're an Amazon reseller, you're selling something, but you've got your own idea for that, or you want to, let's say, just get away from reselling something and you want to sell something that's your own. Right. Uh, we can go through what that specifically looks like from like that sketch to production, because it's not exactly clear and it is somewhat difficult to kind of self-research into that. Right. Is there a process, a series of steps you would take people through? Yep. Yeah. So let's, let's go through that. Um, first and foremost, it, it's a state of mind that I, I want everyone to focus on. If you have a product idea, the first thing that you need to be thinking about is manufacturing. And that is not exactly clear. If you do your research online, it'll be very confusing into what you do with your product to monetize it. Well, in 2021, almost no hardware startup goes to market in any other way than getting it to production, selling units, having real buyers say, hey, I like this, writing a review online, whatever else, then the business scales from there. Then you can talk about licensing and partnerships and brand opportunities and all that. But there's almost no, no commercialization of a product until it's in users' hands. Now, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be a right. few hundred units. Right. But the key is, Real product in people's hands. So first and foremost, if you've got a product idea, you need to be thinking, how do I get this to production? Right. So you're not going to, what you're saying is that give up the idea of going out and raising millions of dollars on an idea. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, raising it's first thing, but also definitely give up the idea of somebody just going to give you millions of dollars uh, right. in royalties or something else because you came up with a great idea. Right. Um, right. That, that ideas, is, yeah. They it, say ideas are cheap, but execution is everything, right? Execution. Which, which yeah. So you, you start with that fundamental foundation, then it becomes right. a question of, okay, how do I do that? And we can actually get into budgeting down the road because not everybody has the finance. I, I would actually say probably half the clients that, come, that, that work with us don't have the money to go all the way from sketch to production. And that's okay. Cause there, there, there's tools 
especially in this day and age, uh, more than ever, there's things that can help with that. So you've got your idea and you know you've got to go to manufacturing. This is where we really get into the, the nuts and bolts. First things first is just sketch it out. Even yourself, you don't need to be a professional drawer. This is a really helpful process. Just draw it on. Imagine what, how will this thing work? What will it look like? Again, you don't need to be an artist. Just get it on paper, write a little bit about it, do a little bit of research online and somewhat flush out the idea. That's your first step. And you can do that yourself. It's free. It's easy. Next step uh, is what we call in the industrial design phase. Um, It's a confusing word. It's It's an old industry term, but basically what it means is the visual or cosmetic design um, paired with the the functional logic to how this thing's actually going to work. Right. So it's a a little bit of mechanical, mostly visual to say like, okay, here in 3D, this is is what my product's going to look like. Um, This is a very critical step. This is generally where you want your highest level expertise brought in when it's, whether it's an industrial designer, this is where you want your vets brought in because this is the actual CAD file that will be, improved, tweaked, refined, prototyped all the way through to production. So this is like the foundation of your house. Right. And this is also the merger between your client, you as the business, and then technology, what can actually be done. And then you want it to be all modern and sexy and manufacturable and all the rest, right? So this, this is right. really a key foundational piece. Industrial design, so that's your visual design. After that, we get into the mechanical engineering. Now, if you've got electronics, you're also going to pair electronic engineering. This is where you go, you figure out every little bolt, every little angle, every detail of this product in 3D CAD to mechanically engineer exactly and precisely how this object works. Even something simple like a spatula needs mechanical engineering to figure out stress points, materials, thicknesses, et cetera, surface finishes, you name it. Um, So then when you've got the mechanical engineering, you know, you've really detailed, now you want to build your first rough prototype. This is, this is built off of the visual design and the mechanical engineering, and if there's electronics, the electronic engineering, and you're kind of packing it all together in your first quasi-functional version of this. It's really cool for the inventor because this is like your your baby coming to life physically. But for your design firm or your designers or engineers, they don't really care about that part. What they care about is learning from this thing. Right. This is the first time where all of your theory is getting put into the physical world. You want to now learn as much as you can from that physical object. What is working well? What is working poorly? Um, what opportunities might exist now that you have this, right? Um, so that, that's your rough prototype. From there, you go into your, your what we call a full prototype or a, a fully functional prototype. That thing should look and feel very close to a manufactured product. Right. Um, now, this might not exactly be a, a one-two prototype. Maybe you'll do a couple little prototypes in between to test and refine certain features. Right. Yeah. So Presumably, is- there's like a testing phase going along with this prototyping sure. process, right? You want to get some real-world uh, experience. Yeah. And every product's unique. Right. Every product's got its own kind of flavor. So you certain things may need more or less, uh, you know, parts or elements to it. Um, but just know that most products are more complicated than you think. Right. They require a lot. The way that a quality product is done is by a lot of design and testing. Yeah. That's when you see your best products that you, that, that you really love. It's not because they like coincidentally thought of a great design. It's because they've designed, tested, iterated over yeah. and over and over again. So this is where you have to get very strategic and very careful with balancing your budget with your quality, with also your features, right. making sure you're not going feature crazy. In fact, less features, the better for your starting product so that you can do less features, but at a higher quality per feature. 
Right. That's yeah. Key. There's this, there's this concept in software, you know, minimum viable product. Well, I like that you brought up MVP and software because one of the things that's a really an important distinction between software and hardware is that software is easy to fix. Right. Exactly. Like, I should say most of the time, right? Yeah, Not always, yeah. but most of the time it, it's changing lines of code yeah. in hardware. When you've produced something, it's very expensive and difficult to change that. And you can't change the thing that you've already sold. Because yeah. one of the big things that we talk about when we're talking about the subject of MVP, I call it SMVP, Smart Minimum Viable Product, right. which is essentially what I talked about before. Less features, but a higher quality per feature. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they think of MVP, it's kind of got a dirty connotation to it in the tech space because the traditional early logic to that was- right. Yeah, Get whatever garbage you could out, right? Just to get <laughs> we'll something fix out. It. We'll fix and it. We'll fix it. Yeah, raise we'll start breaking it. it. Yeah, yeah. But in hardware, it's very different because, like you said, you you brought up reputation. Right. You've got one shot at that reputation. If you release a poor quality but full of features product, you're getting a poor reputation, and it would be very hard to recover from that. You can, <laughs> um, but it's more important that you, you focus on less features, but do those features really well, and that's the difference between what I say, SMVP, smart MVP, or let's call it hardware MVP versus software MVP. Great points. That's huge insight. And that actually leads me really nicely into my next question. What are some of the other mistakes you see product entrepreneurs making? Well, I, I think the you know, one of the big mistakes, and it kind of ties with this MVP or keeping your features, like, first of all, that's the biggest mistake. Right. Feature creep is crazy. So let's assume that you've got your MVP down. You said, yeah, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to keep it fresh. Mistake number two is thinking about your first production run as your moneymaker. Your first production run should be your test right. run. Even if you totally botch the market, it's not really selling. I guarantee you that you're going to get feedback which will tell you right. why it's not selling, how you need to pivot to make it sell. Right. And that's where, and, and so that, that's assuming you completely botch it. What generally happens is, no, you, you found, you, you focused on a, a niche, you found those, those people because the, the global market is very easy to access those people now more than ever, ever before. You can get right to those people with direct-to-consumer advertising, exactly to those pain point individuals and sell to them. What you're going to find out is what they truly loved about your product. It's going to be right. probably slightly different than what you think they're going to love about your product. Then that allows you, the biggest thing of all, that allows you now to raise or to plan for the big bucks to actually scale this thing. Right. If you think of it as a first, that's why I said originally in, in this interview, it doesn't, you don't need to sell a lot of units, a few hundred units. What that does is establish that people whipped out their credit card and liked your product. Right. The conversations that you can now have with distributors, wholesalers, potentially even direct to retailers, definitely now with major angel investors, uh, possibly even getting into venture capital money at that point in time. You are now in the big leagues because you are now a product business with real users, with real reviews, and, and, and they're loving it. Great. So that, that is really what you should be looking to as your end game. Not, your end game is not when you're done development, not when you have your prototype and you say, now I'm ready to go to your market. The end game is, well, and I would say that's the beginning of a new era, but the end game of your development is when you've got your first production run yeah. out there. At that point, you're thinking about scaling in your in your, your Then it's all scale. You know, or selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They get to, to not even a ton of sales, but a bigger company says, uh, like Moonlight's a great example. Uh, Spin Master Toys says, wow, that's a great product. Love it. They bought within a year of, of acquiring uh, our, our client's product business. They're in 70 countries. 
So it was something that the client would take a long time to do on their own, but they saw early success. And actually that was through crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo campaign. Type yeah. Stuff, right? You know, can you say a little bit about that as, as a pathway to launching a product? It's a great technology because it's a nice stepping stone, especially if you're on a budget. Essentially, when you're at that point where you've developed your product, you've got, let's say, your refined prototype and it's tested and you say, yeah, this is pretty much what I want to go to manufacturing. And then you look and you've got this big glaring manufacturing bill ahead of you right. to actually produce the units. Well, what this allows you to do is take a little intermediary step in there to get some revenue. Right. Basically, when you're done your proto, and it has to be a good prototype. Right. So now, now the, the requirements on both Kickstarter and Indiegogo are that you have a physical product, uh, prototype. Right. Right. Now, they're really taking it one step further to say you need a generally a pretty good, like you, you don't have to, but in order for it to be successful and for them to re-spin in for, you know, if you're working with a marketing agency or a crowdfunding agency, um, which, you know, helps you through all this, um, helps you sell, they're generally looking for something that's good enough and has a clear line of production. Because remember, at the end of the day, if you do a half million, million dollar yeah. crowdfunding campaign, you have to fulfill that order. Right. But the beauty is they pay you to fulfill the order. You're essentially pre-selling units. Right. You get that money, then you use that money to maybe finish the last bits of development. Ideally, most of that's resolved though, so that you're now going into production. Again, using that money to pay for production and then getting those first, you know, whatever X hundred or thousand units out to those customers. That is your first manufacturing run. So it's a really amazing tool, but you won't be making money off it or very rarely are you actually making profit. Right. But again, if you know, from what we're covering your before, costs and you're that. getting, you're getting to that next level yes. of market penetration, which again, becomes a platform, which you can scale up from. You got it. Yeah. Cool. Talk a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing in the industry now, both in terms of products and maybe even just the way product development is, is evolving. Well, I'll tell you a big one coming from, well, actually two, two huge things that are happening. One, there's going to be a chip in everything in 20 to 30 years, right. whether you love it or hate it, everything that you see and touch around you will be connected in one way or another. It could right. be very complex, like our thermostats, which already are doing that, mm -hmm. or it could be very simple, like, you know, the, the, the cushion of my chair, it's going to tell me when the, you know, the pad has expired and I need to replace it. And, you know, maybe I click a QR code and it, and it orders apart from Amazon. I, you know, I don't know exactly what all these things are going to be, but we are working on a lot of products that are, that are traditional products and are connected, which is really cool because essentially it's creating uh, you know, the next industrial revolution, whatever you want to right. call it, the, the connected revolution where uh, it's allowing everybody who has an idea that comes up with something great to reinvent the future of tomorrow. So we're using all these new chip, chip technology, which the prices keep coming down and down and down. The ease of working with them become easier and easier and allowing us to do more and more things. Um, so you're going to have all these new opportunities for inventors to come up with ideas that traditionally weren't able to be solved. So tremendous, like, like a whole revolution of products are coming. Basically, everything's yeah. going to be redesigned in the next 20 to 30 years. Or most we're talking about, I guess, what's commonly referred to as Internet of Things, correct? You got it. Um, but the second thing, which is also a tremendous opportunity point, is additive manufacturing. So we use a lot of additive technologies right now to make prototypes. Everyone's heard of 3D printing. And subtractive is the opposite of additive. And that's, that's CNC machine, where you basically take a block and you carve it out and you make, make your part, right? So CNC has been around for a long time. Additive has you know, come in in the last 20 years, essentially 3D printing layer by layer to create your object. 
But right. really what's happening very quickly is that technology is evolving to the point where you can actually start producing your first production run using additive manufacturing, 100, 200, 500 units. I just got off a call this morning with a company called Midwest Prototype, huge operation. Um, they're uh, one of, we're, we're the supporters of the Make 48 TV show. I'm one of the judges on the show. Uh, they just did uh, one of the episodes in their city at, at their facility. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so it's a massive operation, heavily, heavily geared around not just prototyping parts, which is what we would, as a design firm, we would use them for you know, getting parts and testing and refining. But we can now go back to that same facility and say, okay, now we want to produce 200 units. And they've got a whole operation set up, which is constantly evolving every month, getting better, faster, cheaper, all, all right. the rest. And, and all of that is to be able to allow early stage companies and big companies to get a small amount of products made so they can then get them out to the market, get them tested, right. get that feedback. Coming right. back around to what we talked about. So around. probably cost is higher than obviously doing a mass run, but you have that Depends. advantage of doing a small run for testing and, and you know, just limiting your risk initially and really get. That's right. Sure I mean, your part cost is going to be higher, Yeah. but then your upfront cost could be exponentially lower. Right. So unless you're asking, you don't have to do it. You, you can just do it on a piece by right. piece. You could do 10 piece by piece. Probably. Yeah. Right. They're also doing like products which evolve over time. So one of his customers does GoPro camera cases. GoPro comes out with a new version of their camera every year. Right. So as they get like up to every 50, 100 units they get in, they just send the order over to, to the prototyping factory. They print off 50 units and they, then they send them to them. They send them to their customers. So they're, not even bothering with the mass cameras. they're not even they mass producing. It. They're just- That's doing, right. They never yeah. mass produced. Right. Yeah, that's cool. And eventually the product went obsolete and it didn't matter. They made a ton of money all, all, all throughout right. the process. They and were they didn't have a ton of leftover stock that they had to liquidate or destroy. He, he said they had a dozen units uh, when, it, when it all finished off at the end, leftover. Right. Right. So it just goes to show. So there's many different ways. Now, now injection molding is still a big part of the world, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially as you scale and you do get into those bigger volumes. But again, for most hardware startups, uh, and even I would say most of the small companies we work with, you know, under 50, under 100 employees, it's mission critical to get a small production run out there before you tool up and, and commit on 10, 20, 50,000 units. And yeah. that's where additive manufacturing is going to change the course of history for product development. Cause you're going to see products that can get to market faster, adapt quicker, um, have a much lower barrier to entry in terms of actually, you know, producing those first units. Um, and then eventually when they prove the model, yeah, then they can go back to injection molding to get cheaper per unit costs right, at right. bigger volumes. Kevin, I, I want to ask you as an entrepreneur. So you're an entrepreneur who serves entrepreneurs. What are some of the biggest learnings you've had as an entrepreneur that you'd like to pass on to other entrepreneurs? You can contextualize it in the context of product development or just in general. Uh, you know, my number one tip is just don't procrastinate. Right. I have, cause I, I have been in this strange position where I've got to see, you know, thousand plus probably close to like 1500 entrepreneurs right. that we've worked with. Yeah. Let what, a, what an education, more. eh? Like that must, that's amazing. Oh, it's crazy. It's like the, the you know, school of hard knocks, right? The right, things right. that so much that you, you never could learn from business school but that, right. that now is just like slammed in, in my lap every day, right? right. But the, the thing that I find consistent over time is they can have, you know, not much money, not much brains, not a great idea, but they hustle. Right. And that product I would pick nine times out of 10 over the person who doesn't hustle, but has money, has a great idea and, and has all the, right. the, the smarts. 
It's the it's the grit, it's the, the grit principle, the grit. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it also this doesn't mean you know twenty hour days, don't sleep, tell your family, you know, you'll see them in a few years when you're right. back from the front lines of this this venture. No, this the, what I mean when I when I talk about hustle is just consistency. Right. If you've got a job, mm-hmm. feel free to work on your product on, on the side. You don't have to quit your job to take this product on yet, um, but just do an hour or two a day. You can always find an hour or two every day if it's important to you. And if you do that, let's say five, six days a week, that consistency is so powerful. That will put you at like the top 10% of the whole pack. Yeah, amazing. About everything else. Smart, you don't need it because, you know, the idea, well, it's more about execution a lot of the times. And if you've thought of any value, which most inventors, when they come up with something, there is some value there. That means you've got a global market of 7 billion people. All you need to do is find that portion of those people who also see value in that idea. If you don't have money, then get investors. And probably not in the beginning, you know, and do what you can to get it as far as you can. Cause the more you do, the more appealing it is for an investor. But I can tell you, if you get to a, a even a half decent prototype that kind of shows how it's going to work, uh, you're going to probably, you know, if you hustle, you'll probably find an investor to come, maybe give you your first 50, hundred thousand. And then if you get it to market and now you've got you know, a hundred reviews online and say, I love this product, five stars, right? Well, now you're probably in a very good shape to raise that, you know, 200 to a million dollar seed round. Right. So uh, again, the hustle over everything else. Last question. What's, what's next for you? What's next for Kevin and what's next for Maco design? I love this business model. I I really like where I'm at. I I think I'm at one of those positions where I just want to do more, of this, right. you know, clients love what we do. The market loves what we do. I feel like we're in a great space. Um, I, I'm, I'm very happy with this, um, you know, this, this whole model, which, you know, in the early years, I, I nearly hit rock bottom a number of times right? Right. where you just, especially in the early days, trying to build this business up um, with no debt, no financing, no investors, no business partners. It, it was t- a tough go, especially in my twenties, right. Trying to both feed myself and feed the business. And then every time we were starting to make some money, I essentially had to risk it all to put all that money back into growing it again. Right. So, you know, nowadays um, I don't want to take the big risks uh, as much as I, as much as I used to, but I also don't want to change anything. And I know that's a boring answer. um, No, it sounds like you've built a great team. And you're now able to sort of sit at the top of that, have conversations like this and, you know, oversee the business, but, you know, once you get the right people in place, and this is something I talk a lot about is it's really about building a good team. And if they're delivering it, they're executing and it gives you a lot of freedom uh, to apply your knowledge and experience where it's most valuable, which is right here. So, so thanks so much uh, for speaking with us, uh, Kevin. And again, if you have a product idea, you've had that idea, take Kevin's advice. Don't just let it sit on the dusty shelves in your mind. You know, sketch it out and bring it to someone like Maco Design and really see what, what kind of potential your product might have. So really appreciate you being on the show, Kevin. Do you want to just leave with where people can find you online? Yeah, the, the, the thing I'm most excited about right now is the Product Startup Podcast, uh, productstartup.com. Just Google it. Uh, and we're on every every major player. And uh, if you want to check out more about uh, Maco Design and what we do, it's just makodesign.com. Thanks, Kevin. Loved having you and uh, we'll be in touch. For more insights on building a seven-figure product brand, including free downloadable training material, visit indiebrandbuilder.com.